I want you to open to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. I am quite sure that you are familiar with this verse of Scripture. We use it frequently and often, and it has a wonderful message just in the verse. How many people experience the promise here? I don't know. It doesn't look like a lot of people do, but nevertheless, there's a wonderful promise here. And it says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. That's scripture. It is possible for a man down here or a woman, a person to live on this earth and experience divine strength. That's possible. It is possible to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Isn't that true? God has promised to us whom he declares to be weak. And because we're weak, we need strength. And the strength that we need is what he gives. And he's promised it to certain people. I mean, not everybody can receive it, but to those that can read it. And if you're his, he said that he's looking on this earth. The eyes of God are looking on this earth for the, for the perfect heart. The perfect hearts, plural. And when he finds them, he's going to end those hearts and those people's lives. He's going to do what he does. He's going to be, show his strength. Now, I want that. I don't know about you, but I want that. Now, recently, in the last few weeks, we've talked about Proverbs 23, 7, Psalms 1, uh, that as a man thinketh, so is he. And that has to do, as I've said, with the heart. The heart is used so many different ways in scripture with so many different topics, an evil heart or a, a faithful heart or a, a loving heart. It's just used over and over in various ways to describe the way people are is the way they are in their heart. And as Proverbs 23 said last time, you know, as a man thinketh, the negative person or the positive person, you are the product of what you think about. If the devil can get access to your mind or give you something to think about and you think about it, he'll have that kind of control in your life. I don't care what church you go to, what kind of Bible you read, doesn't matter. Whatever is on your mind is what's going to be in your life. And if God is given your mind, if you give your mind to God, if you think on these things, the things we told you about, if you let God develop your thoughts and so forth and you think on the thoughts that he gives, then you'll become like that. That's a law, whether it's saved or unsaved. All of us live by our choices, of course, but what we have chosen to do, what we've chosen to, the way we've chosen to act, the activities we have chosen to be involved in are things that we thought about. You didn't accidentally one day wake up and decide to use bad words. You heard them and you thought about it and you sort of in, saw what people do and how that works and thought you'd do it, but you thought about it. And so we are what we think about. And then we said in Psalm 1, which is a prelude to what I want to say tonight, that you know the man that will avoid the negative things, sitting and walking and standing with the wrong crowd, which gives him the wrong kind of input, 
but he makes his delight the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates or thinks, ponders day and night. God said he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and describes the fruitfulness and the longevity of that tree and how good that is. And that's what pleases God for us, like trees, to be like that particular tree. But it comes with the decision for you to set aside all these worldly negative things and put your heart and your mind where the Lord is and think on those things. And the Bible said, God will bless you. Just as he said in our text here, he will show himself strong in your life. As long as I've been a Christian and as long as I've been around Christian people doing what I'm doing, uh, I've spoken with many Christians who have asked the question, why doesn't God do something? Why do we not see the power? Why is it that we hear a good word, but we don't see any action? It seems like there's nothing going on. I mean, people still aren't getting answers to their prayer. They're still undergoing the same kind of burdens they've always had, whether it's disease, finances, or marriage, or troubled children, whatever it is. We prayed, we've laid hands on. We've done all the things the Bible says we ought to do, but it seems like we're not getting many results. There's no power. We feel so helpless. We seem so helpless. The world's not impressed with how whatever advantage we're supposed to have. They don't see it either. So we search, I hope we do, and we wonder why didn't it happen. Well, it might be right here. It might be with what's in our hearts. For the Bible said when God finds the heart that is perfect toward him, he said he's going to show his strength. Divine, wonderful, heavenly strength. Being strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Let's take the word strong for just a moment. Strong. We've referenced strength a lot in Ephesians 1. Paul spoke about the eyes of your heart being enlightened. Remember that? Tell you what, turn to Ephesians 1 because we're going to look at two verses in Ephesians 1 and chapter 1 and chapter 6. But look in verse chapter 1. He begins at verse 18, probably talking about the heart, though the word heart is not mentioned, but the word enlightened is. You see that in verse 18? The eyes of your heart being enlightened or the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Uh, there's a number of translators, and I'm not a translator, who translate the word understanding with the word heart. It's not a Greek word for heart, but that's the way they use it because the heart is the seat of all that you are and all that you're going to be and what you do. I mean, it comes out of the heart, whether it's your faith or your doubts. They come from the heart. Whether you're evil or good, it comes out of the heart. We know that. And so he said, the eyes of your heart being enlightened or illumined so that you can see something. Something that all Christians ought to see, but I don't know how many do. I hope you do. You can see what God has for us. And the 19th verse, he said, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward whom? Us. But not just us, but in particular, us who believe. Bear with me for a moment. I wouldn't say that I'm a teacher, but teaching does involve explanation of things. We can't just read things and let them go. Sometimes you have to go back and think about it. And he said... 
in that verse there that the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, he is specifically, he does not say that this power is available to everybody who joins church or is a member of the church. But in particular, those who may call themselves church members, but it's only for those who believe. Would you agree with that? It is only for those who believe. Because James 1 says that if, if we ask for something that he's promised, but we're not sure we want, but we're going to get it or that he'll do it, he said, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord, which I believe is where a lot of church people are or have been. They're not getting much, they really don't expect much. And that just compounds a problem. And while faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, people get busy on the night to hear the word and they don't hear it then either. There's nothing I can do about it. It's a personal choice that people make. But that's the problem with the heart. My heart needs a whole lot more than what it's got. I need a greater, more bit of heavenly power in my life than what I've had. But I can get it. I can get it. And it's promised to me. I don't have to stand afar off and wonder if it will happen. Why doesn't it happen? I can pursue it. And God will give it because he said, when I see the heart, the heart that is, as one translator says, the heart that is perfectly his, the heart that is loyal to him or the heart that is true to him. He said in that person's life, they're going to experience divine power. It works like that. It doesn't work because you read the Bible. It doesn't work because you say you believe it, but it works if you believe it. And so we need that. I do want to see every sickness, every malady cured, fixed, and healed, and never come back. I do want to see all of our loved ones saved. I do want to see what this pulpit says in the front here, holiness to the Lord, that, that I do want to see us become holy people. Because that's one of the very things that in Deuteronomy 28 he talks about. He said, he shall make us a holy people. That's possible. But that takes power too. God has to do that. We can't do it. I mean, we're on the wrong side of this. We, we, but if God is working in us, he can bring it forth. So there's things greater than my physical needs and mental needs. There's my spiritual needs. But I can have it and I can get it. If I just follow the Lord, he'll lead me to it. Amen? And I can no longer be one who wonders why it doesn't work. I'll be one of those that's praising God because it is working. That it does work. That things are going the way that they should. But he said, the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. In chapter 6, in verse 10, in Ephesians, he said, finally, my brethren, we quoted a while ago, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Does it say that? Is that possible? What are the weaknesses of God? He doesn't have any. And yet he promises you to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Go back to chapter 3 of Ephesians and look at verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his grace to be what? Help me. To be strengthened. How? Can God do that? Can he? 
You know it's true. That you would be strengthened with might by his spirit on the inner man, the spirit man, on the inside of you. That's where I'm strong. My physical body can't cope with all the things out there, but the man on the inside can. Just like my warfare is not a carnal warfare, it's a spiritual warfare. I want to be strong in the Lord so that, so that Satan finds no weaknesses in me and no victory through me. None. That I can overcome all things through Christ who strengthens me. So being strong in the Lord is, is a promise and it can be found. He said in Colossians 1 verse 11, strengthened with all might. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Many times God has this recorded for us as Christians to know that no matter what's coming down the road, no matter what you're looking at right now in your life, there is available to you something greater than the problem, greater than the prognostication or the future forecast, something greater than all of that that enables you not to be afraid of it, not to run from it or flee, but to cope. It's the power of God. We can stand and, and we can overcome and we can do all that because God said so. Now, back in 2 Chronicles 16 again, he said that he will show his power in those whose hearts, whose hearts are perfect toward him. Now, the word perfect here, as one dictionary said, the word conveys the idea of whole or undivided. If God has your heart and it's perfect, he has you and your affections. One translator calls the word loyal to, or one translator says true to. Another translator says blameless towards. When God finds the heart that is sincerely God's, he may not find a perfect man. You may have a lot of flaws in your life and you may have a lot of things you're, you got to deal with. We all do. But your heart, in spite of everything that's wrong or that has happened wrong, your heart can be turned to God so that you long for, you desire, you seek after God. You're searching for something you don't have. You're looking for something you've never known, but something that is promised. And if you search, you'll find it. It's either that or take a complacent seat and position in your life just being satisfied with a church membership, sitting and hearing a word a couple times a week, taking a few notes, that's it. Now that's a pretty dismal life. There's much more to what we're doing than that. We're here to learn that there's more to life than just hearing sermons and going to church and be satisfied that you're a Methabapi Presbycostal. But God's strength to us depends on the condition of our hearts. The power that you possess in overcoming in this life or achieving in this life, it all goes back to your heart and where your heart is. Let me give you a few examples in the scripture. That the word heart and perfect are used together 15 times in the Bible. I mean, they are used together because they offer us something. They offer us hope for one thing, but they also in one verse we'll see, better be careful. For example, if you will, turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. And this is Solomon's prayer. And 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56. 
What a good verse that is. 1 Kings 8 and 56. He said, blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto all that he has promised. There has not failed one word of his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. Now, he talks on down in verse 61. He told me, he said, now keep these words, I'm bypassing this part, keep these words in remembrance. Remember what is said, not, not a single word Solomon is saying, they're dedicating the temple, and it's a marvelous thing, and, and Solomon said, listen, not one good word of God's promise has ever failed. Now remember that, don't let that get away from you. When you think at all, oh, this isn't going right or that's not going right, what are we going to do now? Just remember, God has never promised anything that he hasn't done or is unwilling to do. Everything. And then down in verse 61. Let your heart, therefore, be perfect with the Lord, our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as it is at this day. In other words, in, in this one verse, what will a perfect heart do? It'll be faithful, won't it? It'll keep his commandments, but you won't keep them if you don't remember them. You won't keep anything that God said if you don't find out. I mean, it doesn't take a scientist to do that. You can't walk in all the ways the Lord has commanded you if you don't know what he's commanded you. You can't live the kind of life he wants unless you know what kind of life he wants you to live. You can't do the things that God specifically says pleases him if you don't know what they are. The psalmist says, teach me thy way, O Lord. Why? You sing it all the time. So I can what? Walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. That's the driving force. The Lord, I, I, wanna, I need to know what you want me to do. I can't learn the will of God on the TV set. Doesn't mean I can't see something on there to watch. But if that's what you, if that's where your heart is all the time, and that's, that's the way you are. You can't walk with God or follow God if you don't know what he said. We got to learn what he said. As far as I know, one of the functions of the church is to teach the people. One of the God's great rebukes before the Babylonians came and took over God's people. One of the great rebukes in, the, in Ezekiel 22 was to the priest. He said, you have not taught my people the difference between the unclean and the clean. Jeremiah 23 said, woe unto the prophets and the pastors and the scribes who have not taught the people. He said, the ones that did teach you didn't teach you the word, but they made you vain. And so assembling ourselves together, that's not what this message is about, but I can't get away from this. The privilege of assembling together as we do, whether there's a few of us or a bunch of us, is one of the great privileges that we have in this life. I don't think everybody can hear the word wherever they are. I really don't. I don't think everywhere in the world is blessed with a word. I really don't. And somebody said, well, you think you're the only one? I've never said that. I'm just saying there's not a whole lot of what I would call the truth for these last days all over the world. I'm getting off the subject, but it's okay. 
We're living at a time right now, which I'd call the preparation to the harvest. The Lord is going to come back. The reapers are going to come. And there's wheat and chaff in the church. And God is going to do what he does to separate the two. And the one's going to be caught up to meet him in the air and the other's going to be left. And you really do want to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And it seemed like the difference between the wheat and the chaff is their approach to their need for the word of God. Some assume because I've been to church all my life, I don't need to be taught all the time as, as though you know everything. And yet there's some who say, you know, I've been in this walk for 40 years and I don't have near enough. There's got to be more than what I've got. And so they keep searching and seeking. Those are the kind of hearts, that hungry, searching heart. The Bible says it yearns for God. That God is not going to disappoint with a blah walk with him. He's going to show himself strong in our lives. Make a difference with us. And he's going to bless us. He's going to take care of us, but he's going to do it his way because we're believing what he has promised and what he has said. But he said to Solomon, let your heart, in verse 56, let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as it is this day. That's all you got to do. That's all you have to do. First Chronicles 29 Remember that when they offered all this money and we read it the other day, First Chronicles 29, David is thanking God for the heart. The people offered so willingly. Remember that? They brought so much when he asked for this gifts to build the temple and all the resources that they would need and all the stuff. People brought so much stuff. They just brought what would in terms of David, I don't know, millions upon millions of dollars in value today. And David said, who are we that we should give so much back to you? Everything we have came from you. We're just giving back what's already yours. But he rejoiced, he said, because the people gave what they gave with a perfect heart. That is, they were glad to do this. This was not a chore. Nobody made them. You didn't, there wasn't a bucket passed in front of you or a pan so everybody could see whether you put your dollar in or not. It was entirely up to you, between you and the Lord. If you don't want to, you don't have to, and only God knows you don't. If, if you want to, you can do it. Nobody has to know it but God. But it's the heart that motivates you to do the things that God shows you that pleases him. That's the kind of heart he wants. A heart that, you know, Lord, I don't care what it costs. I... I just want to do what's right here. I want you to be blessed with what I'm doing and, and I want to do it. And he said, they offered with a perfect heart. They offered willingly to the Lord. I would imagine that's, a, that's the kind of offering that God would want anyway. But turn to, while you're in Chronicles, turn to 2 Chronicles 19. Now that you're in that book, 2 Chronicles chapter 19 and verse 9, Jehoshaphat has returned from a place he shouldn't have been and he is greeted by a prophet named Jehu. And Jehu, or Jehu, ever how you want to say it, approaches him in chapter 19 and he says, why would you love people? This is pretty theologically difficult for a lot of people. But he said, should you help the ungodly 
and love them that hate the Lord. What about that? Did y'all see that in verse 2? Why would you help the ungodly? You know what would happen today if you said that in the pulpit today? Why would you people love other people that hate the Lord? See, I can read it and get by with it. But if it was an original thought and I said it, oh, brother, what a mean, old, ugly man he is. But verse 9, when he came back and he got rebuked, he started getting things right with the worship in the temple and he appointed judges. He said, look at all the people that have needs. They need to be ministered to, questions answered, difficulties solved. So he appoints judges and he warns them. He said, I'm going to tell you something. Don't take a bribe because you could bribe most of them. You know, you give them a little money and get your deal. He said, don't take a bribe. Don't mistreat people and be fair and just. In verse 9, he says, and he charged them saying, Thus shall you do in the fear of the Lord faithfully and how? You do this as unto the Lord. God will be in charge of what motivates you and you'll let him have his way. However, there was a king in the Bible, his name was Amaziah. He was the son of King Joash. Joash who on the the oversight of his uncle Jehoiada did really well until he died. He didn't do so well after that. And his son Amaziah became king in his place. And it's recorded in the, I think in the same book that you're in, in Second Chronicles chapter 25. It said this in verse 2 about Amaziah. He said, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Do you see that? You know, what What does that say to you? That a person can do what is right religiously, but not mean it? That he can follow the forms and the format, or how about this? He can offer sacrifices to God, and he can bring his sheep or his doves or whatever his offering is, and he can bring all of this to the Lord in obedience to the command of the Lord, and yet, not have his heart right in doing that? Do you know that God sees all of that? No wonder these people brought all these, well, we're obeying the law. I mean, doesn't the law say to do this? Well, that's what we're doing. Malachi, remember Malachi spoke about the people sacrificing sick animals, animals that were probably about to die or maimed in some way or diseased. They're going to die anyway. So he brought them to the, you know, and they killed his animal. Blood was shed. That's what they want. Life for life. Substitute lamb between you and God. Here's the substitute. You're shedding of blood. Life for life. And it was so disgusting to God that they were treating his word so vainly that he said, do you think I should accept that kind of an offering from you? Sure, it's an offering. Of course you're shedding blood. Yes, you had to give the animal. But that's not what I wanted. The way you're thinking is, well, let's get rid of this one out of the flock and give it to God. You know, it doesn't matter. They're going to kill it anyway. He said, your heart's not right. He said, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. 
Go to Isaiah, right in the middle. Just keep going to the right. And in the middle of Isaiah, you look at 29 and verse 13. Isaiah 29 and verse 13. There's a lot of these in the Bible, but let me just point this one out. About worship and about praise. You know, you can get real fussy about that. Wherefore, the Lord said, for as much, this was his complaint. For as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth, and do honor me with their lips, but what? But they have removed their heart far from me. I hope you understand something tonight, that just because we go through the motions doesn't mean it's acceptable. I don't care if you give big, you give a lot, or you do a lot of things. If your heart's not right, the motivation of your heart is not right, if you're doing this so well, if I do this two or three times, nobody, will, you know, I'll let somebody else do it. I've done my part. You're not doing that as unto the Lord. You're doing that unto yourself. Your heart's bad. Well, there's so many things you could say about things of that sort. Worship God. Hey, we're worshiping. He said to worship. Hands at, I'm raising my hands. That's more than most people do. I'm shutting my eyes and fixing my face. That's more than a lot of people do. And God was saying to these people, oh, you're doing all the things right. I mean, you've got all the form. Your routine and your ritual and so forth is good. But your heart is not in it. He said so. Do you suppose he could see the heart? Do you think they like that? No, they wouldn't like that because their complaint probably was, come on, God. We can't be holy all the time. I mean, we've got to, we're people, we're, we're human, we make mistakes. We can't always be, you know, holy. And God says, your heart's bad. Your heart is not mine. You're living on your terms the way you think God, whom you view like you, on your terms. You see God is as human as you are and you've given him what you give and he surely understands. I mean, after all, come on. How about it? And your heart is so bad. That's what he said. What I started out by saying tonight was this, that there is a lack in the church of power, that multitudes of people given the chance to discuss it will. And a lot of people ask the question, why? Why did it not work? Why, 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 why? If I gave my opinion, it would only come out as judgment, judgmental, an attack, whatever people call, whatever you'd say that you believe is right. You, know, you can stand in a place I've stood for all these years, been here, been there, and talked to a thousand different ministers, I guess. You learn a lot, or you think you do. And you know, there's just a lot of people who have the form, but not the reality. Remember what he said about those whom we should depart from? I mean, they're specifically in the religious circles whom we said we should depart. He said, if they have a form of godliness, but what? They deny the power of it? From such, withdraw yourself. If there's no power in it, it's not Christianity, is it? Or if they talk against the power, well, I don't believe that, well, I don't think that, then what are you doing with them? 
You're sitting in the seat of the scornful or whatever you want to call it. See, now I've said it. What God promised is something that is precious. It's not something you want the devil to, devil to snatch out of your heart because of whatever. You want to hold dear to your heart the words that God has said because that's, that's the way it is. Anybody that doesn't speak according to this word, they have no light. Congregations, ministers are full of people without light. Oh, they think they do. But there's just a whole lot of people who are afraid to say things that, that God says in the Bible because of the fear of what people will think about us. But if he said, if, if they don't talk according to this book, then what are you doing with them? What are you doing in there? Why would you go back to that? I mean, it, it doesn't go up. When, you, when you've drawn a line around what you believe, and that's as far as you're going, anybody else comes in that circle, better stay in that circle. Why would you do that? But people do. It's sort of a powerless Christianity. The power is always in the millennium or yesterday or God could then, but he doesn't do that today or this is not available today or God wouldn't do that today or you can't believe that today. Why in the world would you settle for that? All of that's a lie. It's all a lie. But you have to make that decision yourself. I just did. But God wants us to know that like Amaziah, you can, you can do the right things. You can say, you can read the Bible. That's a good thing. You can sing songs. Most of them are good. But if your heart's not right, it didn't mean anything. It didn't mean a thing. The sinner plowing his field. Or the man plowing his field out there sins while he's plowing. It's what God said. You know why? It, God has nothing to do with his life. Everything he does is for himself. The crops he raises, the money he gets for, the enjoyment he's going to, it's all between him and the earth. He doesn't give God thanks for any of it. So everything he does is sinful. Even when he goes to church once in a while, he sins. He doesn't go to church because he loves God. He goes to church because his wife told him to or she made him or it was Easter. He had no interest in the Lord because his heart's not right. Amaziah's heart wasn't right. He turned back to idols later on. I mean, captured a country, destroyed a country, brought their idols back, set them up and worshiped them. And the prophet said, why would you worship something that couldn't save the people you took them from? But see, there's another spirit that comes in in people's lives and the truth doesn't make sense anymore. And you combat truth with personal attacks. Well, who do you think you are? You think you're better than everybody. Oh, you think you all, and they do that. Or else they say, well, that's just your opinion. I don't see it that way. But it's a spirit either way you look at it. So God's looking for perfect hearts. Not looking for religious hearts. Not looking for people that are trying to do good. Do good, you know, hoping that'll be good. He's looking for hearts that are his. Heart that is, it is yours. Have your way, Lord. This is what you want. This is what you get. Now, this series is about developing a perfect heart, if you need a title. Developing a perfect heart. To develop means to bring out the best. If a heart is capable of having not only the word in it, but the word functioning in it 
and thus bringing forth the power of God and the peace of God in your life, then we should develop that because it's ours. God has promised all of that. First of all, tonight, in developing a perfect heart, the heart must be pure. And a pure heart is used so many times in the Bible. Remember Psalms 24, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Y'all remember that? He that hath clean hands and what else? In other words, can I say it like this? God doesn't accept any other kind of heart. In this approach to him, are you with me? Now, a sinner can cry out to God to be sure. God gives him that privilege. But a half-hearted, the Bible speaks of being half-hearted. Half-hearted individuals don't go into the hill of God. They wouldn't like what they heard there. They wouldn't enjoy that presence because they're not conformed to his image and and they're not being the way he wants them to be. Therefore, they would be very uncomfortable in the presence of, of God. Psalms 18, 25, God says, with the pure, thou will show thyself pure. Speaking of God revealing himself to us, he said he will do that with those who are pure. Pure in their thoughts, pure in their motives, pure in their conduct. I'm talking to you out there tonight as Christians, all of you. Pure, clean, undefiled. You may have a cluttered life. You may have come to the Lord with a cluttered life. I did. A lot of wish I hadn't in my life. And those things will haunt you. I don't care how much you tell young people today, those things haunt you. They don't listen. But I'm telling you, a lot of dumb decisions I made in my life, though I'm forgiven, they relentlessly haunt you. They come back all the time and try to tell you. And God wants us to know that if you'll clean yourself up and keep yourself clean, respond to the word. With the pure, God says he will show himself pure. And he said to those who are pure in heart, he said the king will be his friend. Proverbs talks about that. So purity is choice. Nobody can make you impure. Nobody can make you unclean. That's a choice that you have to make. That's what the tempter does. But we want a perfect heart. We don't want an unclean or imperfect heart. We want a pure heart. So go to the Psalms now. Psalms 119. Because I want you to see it. Psalms 119 and verse 140. If you want a pure heart, you'll have to start with what God gives us that is pure. Being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible seed by the word of God. The word of God is incorruptible. That means it's clean, it's pure. And notice what he says here about the word in Psalm 119, verse 140. Thy word is what? Very what? Help me. Thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loves it. I don't think anybody can make you love it. I don't think I can. I don't think you can. I don't think we as parents can. I don't think anybody can make you love the Lord or make you love his word. That's something that God does when he sees your heart and you want more. I think he gives you more. And he gives it to you in such a way that as you taste and see that the Lord is good, you want another bite. Like it has a divine, continuous effect upon you. Psalms 19. 
Go all the way back to the beginning of Psalms, Psalms 19 and verse 8. We used to sing this song. It's kind of a lengthy song. But one of the refrains in the song was, the commandments of the Lord is pure. And what does it do? Say enlightens the eyes. Thank you. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That's what runs to and fro from God's side. That's what runs to and fro throughout the whole earth. I mean, he's looking. What if we look? Did he not say to the pure, he will show himself pure? You look, he looks. You find, he finds. Purity of heart, clean heart, a desirous of God type of heart. Teach me thy way that I can walk in thy truth. Don't just teach me and accommodate me or don't say, don't leave off laying things, things I need to hear because we're friends. Teach me thy way. Show me, tell me what God says. Don't play favorites. How would that be? Would that be all right with you? Say what needs to be said so that God gives me something to work with. So he says, the eyes of our understanding, Paul said in 118, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. That's what the word does. It opens your eyes and you begin to behold these wondrous things from his law. Remember the psalmist said these words, thy word have I hid. Where do you hide the word? In your heart. Thy word on Wednesday nights do I hide in my heart. And when I go out that door, that word will keep me from sinning. How's that? I wish it was true, don't you? See, this book you're holding in your lap, this book will keep you from the world. Or the world will keep you from that book. Or you can read it. You can come in here and listen to it and smile and look like this. I commented the other day about a soul that on uh, Sundays, you know, is just focused. I mean, right there. And yet some of the stories you hear are so disappointing. I don't know if they're true. Just hear them. And I wonder sometimes, how can you sit out here? I mean, I've talked to adults the same way. I've talked to young people the same way, but I don't get it. How do you come and assemble yourself together and hear what you hear? And you keep coming back to hear it. And so how do you listen to this and then ignore it? How do you do that? Maybe we don't preach hard enough. Maybe we need to grind it out two hours every night. I mean, just get mean with it. That doesn't mean you'd receive it, does it? That means you'd go looking for your watch and when is he going to quit? But how is it that God's people through the ages can go and hear the word, be affected by it, have a moment with it, ask the Lord to save you, cry about it, weep over your weaknesses, and yet go right out that door and violate it. See, your heart's bad. You're like Amaziah. I mean, you, you do right, but you don't do it right with the heart. God sees that. Those kind of things is what slays a man or a woman those are the things that turn you off and turn you away from God because eventually the devil who tempts you to do bad condemns you for doing bad. Oh, come on, live a little while, man. I mean, come on, don't be so, come on. And then when you come on, said, so now I guess you're going to go to church. Anybody done what you just did and you're going to go to church? Shame on you. 
You're a terrible person. You're going to hell. And so you quit going to church. So he won. First of all, he was successful in the temptation. He was successful in the condemnation. And then you're gone. So what can you do? Just preach. All I can do is talk. Just talk. Just tell you what I believe the truth is. If you don't want to live it, you don't have to. But if you don't live it, it's because your heart didn't want it. That's the truth, folks. I'm not, I'm not telling you a lie. I'm telling you the truth. But that's the way it works. If your heart is going to be right with the Lord and it's going to be perfect towards God, you've got to be willing to live it. You know what the Bible says about a young man? How many young men are in here? All right. Even had a couple girls hold her hand up. But anyway, <laughs> you know what the Bible says about young men and their way? He said, how shall a young man cleanse his way? Cleanse it. Which means his way maybe it's happens. You know, you messed up and you've done some things wrong. You know what the Bible said? You can cleanse yourself. You can be cleansed of that, of that way. But here's the way it works. It's, it's Psalm 119 and verse 9. It says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto unto thy word. By taking heed according to the word. What if you don't have a heart for the word? What if you don't really have a desire to hear it? What happens? You don't take heed to it. If you don't take heed to it, then, then you can't cleanse your way. So the devil can tell you that you're all right because at least you go to church, you sit in a seat. And after all, you're not the worst person that's ever lived. I mean, come on. And you dismiss yourself from your need for holiness or for repentance or for living a clean or a pure life. And you go living as you do and you never experience the power. And you're one of those as you grow older and your hair gets gray, complaining to God about why nothing ever worked. Well, the reason things didn't work is because of the condition of your heart. It wasn't his. He said his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth seeking those whose hearts are perfectly his. And if it's not his, he doesn't show his strength. If he sees them, then he shows his strength. Some people are strong in overcoming. Always joyful. They have their problems, but their problems don't have them. And they smile. And they're able to help other people. They're always cheerful about the things of God. They learn to put God first and not let their feelings or their emotions rule. They let the word of God rule. They're strong. They don't fall prey to this little weakness or that. And when this comes along, they don't fall down and I don't want to fall. Come and help me. I don't want to go. They don't, they don't do that. They're not crying out here weeping and whining about stuff. You know why? Because they're strong. Why are they strong? Because their heart's right. You got to get your heart right. It's what we're talking about. Developing a heart that is perfectly his. A heart that is dedicated or Loyal or true to God. Sometimes you just say, God, I am absolutely incapable of doing things the way I should do it. You know, Lord, I let things slide and I give myself liberties I shouldn't. And, and I just don't seem like I'm doing near as good as I should. 
Well, it's, it's, it's a problem with your heart. I promise you that. It's how you're approaching or ignoring God. Not liking to retain God, as Romans 1 says, did not like to keep God in all your thoughts. See, because you can't have godly thoughts and nasty, unclean thoughts at the same time. You can't serve both of them. You're going to serve one that captures your emotions and your feelings. And your mind is where your will is. You think about it, you'll be willing, either with God or with the devil, because that's just the way it works. Turn to 1 John 3, all the way back in the back, because hopefully, 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 what's hope in the Bible? Y'all know what hope is? Expectation, isn't it? Jesus Christ is called the soon coming of our blessed hope. That is his return. Some people believe he is coming back. Now in 1 John chapter 3, and it starts in the first verse by saying, you know, we don't know what we're going to be like. It has not yet appeared to us what we're going to be like, but this one thing we do know. We know that when he comes back, we're going to be like him. That we will be like him. And for the person who thinks like that, the person who employs his mind to think on those thoughts, it says this in verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself. What's the hope again? The coming of the Lord, isn't it? That he is coming. And while the preparation, because he's not coming back for lazy people. He's not coming back for church members who just go to church and, and who live dismal, half-hearted lives. He's not coming back for them. They'll be here when he comes, and they'll be here when he's gone. Trust me. He's coming back. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, he's coming back for those that look for him. Some people are looking for him because they know he's coming back, and they know like that bride who waits for the Lord, you better be dressed and ready to go. You better get yourself cleaned up because the bride's going to be adorned. She's not going to have flip-flops on and blue jeans. I mean, when, when she gets ready to go, she's going to look good. Now, if you believe that, that becomes a motivator in your life. It's, your heart embraces that, and you, buy, you start getting your life ready because you don't know when he's coming. He might be here in the morning. He may be here after a while. He may be here who knows when. I don't know when, and you don't know when. You just know that he is coming, and when he does get here, you better be ready. You better be ready. I don't know how you take that or how you feel about that. But a perfect heart is hope-based because of your faith. Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. I can't stop 1 Peter 1. I had to break my what I said, 1 Peter chapter 1, but it's similar because it talks about purifying yourself. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Seeing that you have purified your souls, how? By joining a church. Well, that's what it means. You're supposed to say, no, it doesn't mean that either. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and to unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a what, how? With a pure heart, sincere love. 
love you because you have a soul. You're made in the image of God, and God says you're worth loving. Whoever you are. Well, they're not like, I don't care who they are. We clean up our lives because the word of God that is given to us is, he said he will cleanse his church with the washing of water by the word. That's how he'll separate and sanctify his church. The word of God will do that to you. And, and within the church, those who believe that he is coming, that he's looking for loving and caring people, they begin to, you know, that's one of the qualifications. And you're going to begin to clean up your life and you'll be purged and a lot of stuff and by obeying the Lord and, and he'll give you love for people you didn't know you could love. You might be a Kentucky fan and loving that Louisville fan. Whatever. That was carnal, but I mean, I'm just saying that God can give you as a Christian, because you put all these things aside. They're not, worth the, they're not worth the effort of arguing about it anymore. The only thing that's important is me getting ready for the Lord. And he said to love my brother as he has loved me. Amen. And that's a lot. And we love it this way because we have a pure and a clean and a perfect heart. Bow your head with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, deal with us and show us that this hour that we're in is a late hour. And the world is building up itself for all of its perilous things. Help us to know, one, that we need not be afraid, need not stress ourselves out about it, but that we just need to seek first your kingdom. I pray that you will, in the meantime, show us that we have to do this, not mechanically, but sincerely with our hearts. To do what we do as unto the Lord and not into a system or to a mate or to a church, but as unto the Lord. We pray for clean hands and a pure heart and that we would have a love and a joy for your presence, that we might be there to find that secret place where you dwell and be transformed there. Lord, this is a needy church that I stand before. All of us are, myself included. We're needy people. I ask you to help our needs to get met in a way that prepares us for the coming of Jesus. Lord, for those who need to reach out the most Tonight, I ask that you would deal with their hearts that they would do that. You're good to us. May we not take that for granted and ask you to bless these people in Jesus' name. Amen.